Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another BritFlix podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is producer, writer, director, Travis Stevens. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. Now, we're here to do two things. We're here to talk about your new movie, A Wounded Fawn, and we're also here to pick the bones out of three films that impacted everything in your adult life. Now, we'll do that second. But before we do, just to just to get the format, so people who've not been familiar with how I might do this, um, Travis has given me three titles, which he's going to talk about with me. Uh, and every time we hear this this sound, will be the time to stop talking about that film and move on to the next one. So you can hear that alarm at your end, Travis. I sure can. Good man. <laughs> so that just brings it brings a little bit of jeopardy to the show. It also makes me a passive-aggressive host because I don't tell you to shut up. The iPhone does. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but before we do, let's talk about A Wounded Fawn. So first off, when and how can people see it? A Wounded Fawn is available on Shutter starting December 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure when this will air, but in theory, it's on Shutter by the time uh, your listeners are, are hearing this. Um, and then I believe six months later, it'll be on the other platforms. But what you want to do is you want to watch it on Shutter, Because not only can you watch Wounded Fawn on Shutter, you'll be able to watch Blood Relatives on Shutter, which is Noah Segan's amazing Jewish daddy vampire flick. You can watch Christmas Bloody Christmas on Shutter, which is Joe Bagos's killer Santa robot movie. Uh, if you like Wounded Fawn, you can go into their huge library or catalog of Giallo films. Like Shudder is basically the best party in the world for horror films. So I encourage everybody to watch it on Shudder. If you don't have Shudder, if you have somebody in your life who's thinking about buying you a Christmas gift, you know, maybe give them a little encouragement to check out Shudder, a subscription to Shudder, because that makes a great gift. Uh, so yeah, that's basically it. Man. Like I, uh, I really love them, and uh, and hopefully, people listening to the podcast have the service. Okay, well, look, well, I'll, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to Shudder. That's that's not a Great. problem. I can do that part. Um, so let's talk about a wounded fawn. So 
where where does that film start for you? I, I see the two writing credits, Nathan Forgey and yourself. So where where is are you are you writing that together, or is that a film that Nathan had started and you got involved with? Yeah, uh, Nathan had written a, a script called The Furies uh, that was sent to me hmm. uh, that had the the basic uh, story of a, 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 a killer and a girl go to a cabin and the Furies show up. Hmm. Um, and uh, you know, great, great, great concept great premise i i hadn't been aware of the furies as sort of a literary uh, uh you know or i hadn't been aware of the myth mm. and so you know because i had made a couple movies uh about guys learning lessons i had to find a sort of new way into this mm. and so i think um my work on that script sort of said well what is a new setting i can put into this world what are some themes i can bring into this world what are some visuals i can bring into this world and how can i uh contemporize the the furies in a, a narrative that feels relevant to 2022 mm. um and that sort of started the whole process of reworking reworking it but uh yeah, Nathan Nathan did a, a great job coming up with the, the original script. One of the things that will strike people when they do get to see it, because I don't want to get into any spoiler territory, so I'll, I'll focus on a, cer- a certain aspects of the aesthetic of your film, is the use the, the use of surreal art, and in particular, surreal art done by female artists. So where where yeah. was how was that drawn into a story? Well, I think in, in part of my trying to figure out how to sort of make another movie that had similar themes. I was mm. like, you know, what can I do differently about it? Mm. And the idea of symbolism being more sort of exaggerated in the, the cinematic language, um, sort of leaning heavily into the aesthetics and really uh, getting inside the characters' heads and how they were experiencing the world, mm. that seemed to be a fresh way into the basic story and then once I, I i had that as an idea then sort of exploring surrealist art exploring um sort of the the creative process associated with creating surrealist art mm-hmm. opened up a whole new sort of uh, approach for me and uh, as i've said in other interviews um i felt there was a parallel between sort of the power that a serial killer takes from his victims and what had happened to a bunch of uh, sort of the female surrealist painters mm. as their work got overshadowed by the male uh, male artists. Yeah. Sometimes there was their partners. Sometimes they were you know the quote unquote muse and their own sort of agency and their own sort of uh, uh, value um, got drained mm. a bit as you know because it was just a different time. So that was a, the working thesis. And and Sarah Lynn's character is the central character of, of Meredith. Yeah. She is the the almost like the classic, although we don't know it until we get into the story of the kind of once bitten, twice shy in terms of abusive male relationships. I mean, obviously this is the extreme end of it where he's he's potentially someone who might kill her as opposed to someone who's who's just violent for not to make slight of it. Um what were the challenges there for um, for sort of with, with directing that role? You know, sort of because there's obviously what she brings to that role as a woman, and you as the director yeah. of the film. How do you how do you balance the sort of needs and wants of of your film and the actor in that sense? Yeah, I mean, 
Well, on one level, you know, I was very fortunate to um, be incredibly collaborative with Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, have, we have a creative and uh, romantic relationship. So uh, we had a much longer uh, time together on the project than you're normally or typically allowed when you're making a low-budget yeah, yeah, feature. Yeah. So that, that definitely, you know, her perspective informed uh, the story throughout the rewrites and, and all of that. Um, but on another level, you know, I think for me in looking at this story, I think typically when we are putting a woman in jeopardy, there is a a certain narrative arc that that follows. Um, and it was important to me to not follow that typical arc. Mm. And so by starting Meredith's character, basically at the end of that typical narrative arc, she's already learned all of the lessons she needs to learn. Mm. So this movie is about the next chapter. Uh, and I think that 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 changes what that character's arc looks like, because they're not coming into the world naive, then discovering it's dangerous, and then, um, you know, learning a lesson. Mm. It's she's already learned the lesson and the movie is about testing yeah. whether or not she's going to enact what she's learned. Uh, and I think that was a bit different both for the film and for the actor yeah. to work with because it's a much uh, shorter, tighter uh, 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 radius. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I think that was something that, that was interesting. I think, what I liked about that is because uh, Josh, who plays Bruce in the movie, his character and his performance is is more exaggerated because mm-hmm. he's still thinking he's the the star of the show and he's uh, you know like the ringmaster. He's a very sort of uh, thinks highly of himself, very pompous sort of character. So he's a bit more clownish and exaggerated. Mm. Meredith, being more grounded, and Sarah playing her. Uh, is a much more subtle performance. So the two of those together as a filmmaker was really was really interesting to sort of um, balance and, or, and tinker with. Yeah, yeah, because in, in a way, um, and I don't even just thought of this as you were talking there, it's like the Bruce character makes makes almost like what, what, hap- what we see in Wounded Form was like how to deconstruct a man, like the, this this person that thinks he knows what, what it is to be in charge, to, to like you say, be the ringmaster. and and find that maybe all the cards haven't been dealt to him. Yeah. I mean, the the story is about popping the balloon Mm. and the balloon in this case is his uh, sense of self, the way he defines himself, the Mm. way he presents himself to the world and the way he he presents uh, himself to himself. Mm. And the story is about sort of saying, hey, that's that's an illusion. You've got to acknowledge reality. Um, so yeah, I, I think that was that was something that in the sort of rewrite of the script and in the filmmaking and working with the actors, that was you know probably the the meat of what we were doing. Mm. And you know, there's tons of wild visuals and tons of sort of like uh aggressively uh, experimental cinema happening at the same time. Yeah. But dramatically the core uh, of the story is that. 
Yeah, I must admit that's that's the I think that was the thing that really grabbed me after I finished watching it is that for much of the film I felt like I was lost in the weeds of what was going on because of the yeah. the experimentation that I'm being I'm being asked to experience. But actually, you were dripping us narrative, although I wasn't sure at the time that I was getting narrative. And then yeah. and then I come out of it with a resolution. I'm like Jesus, and it's a bit kind of like you're gasping for breath <laughs> when 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 the film concludes yeah. what, what what it's just took you through. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know if this is your experience or your listeners' experiences, but when you consume a lot of movies, mm. you know, you're, you're, it'd be like being a food critic and it's like, you're looking for uh, a meal that is, that is different. It needs to work. It needs to, the flavors need to work together, but you're just craving something that is a bit uh, unusual or, or something new. Mm. And, and I think for, for me in making the films, I'm, tr I'm trying to sort of deconstruct the way structure works a little bit, the way, uh, um, themes relate to structure. You know, I'm just trying to, to change things up a little bit. And what I hope is at the end of the movie, it sits with you a while. And, and as you sort of, you know, an hour later, or a day later, or a month later, aspects of that meal, you, you, you remember in a different way. And you're sort of like, Oh, you know, versus while you're sitting there eating the meal, you're like, yep, that's what a steak tastes like. Yep. That's what a potato tastes like. Yep. There's some broccoli. Ah, I ate steak, potatoes and broccoli. And then you walk away and you don't ever think about the meal again. It's interesting you use the food metaphor. There's a great interview with James Gray where he talks about the fact that we're going to lose the art of storytelling because we keep feeding people hamburgers, he says, because then when you present them with sushi, they go, what the fuck's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Not to be all like the savior of cinema. No, not, no, no, you know, no. I'm just a guy making my way through this shit. But, of course. <laughs> you know. But but the thing is, it's what what I, it, from, a, from an audience, if I can reflect back then in the audience perspective then for me was, I'm thinking while I'm watching this, this film is cleverer than me or the action is one step ahead of me, so I can't predict it. Interestingly, I had the same experience with uh, Melin Barr's, the film she was in, um, Honeydew. Honeydew. Where, yeah. where I've seen that film a hundred times where people end up in some hammers, but I didn't see where it was. When it started to go on its left turn, I'm like, I don't know where it's going now. And then when it yeah. finishes, much like when your, your film finished, I felt smarter for the for the uh, for the journey, which is there where the thoughts yeah. start going because that's after the fact. It's like I'm I'm like what have I learned? I don't know yet, but I'll work that out. Yeah, I mean, I guess with with all art, you're going to get some of the experiences based on what's happening in real time mm. when you're seeing it or experiencing it. Yeah, and then. There's what happens once you walk away from the painting or once you leave the concert venue or what once you leave the movie theater. And, and hopefully what's happened in that art is sticking with you and, and you're thinking about it and circling back on it and maybe even revisiting it in the future and being like, let me take a look at it with a different set of eyes now that I've already uh, seen it once. You know? Now, Travis, that couldn't have been a better segue if I'd scripted it really about what we're going to talk about next. Because what we are going to talk about is that the idea that the film can have an impact on you. So we're going to take the audience through now your three films that impacted everything in your adult life. Um, 
and we're going to start <laughs> in 1974. And I'll just get the clock running so we know we're going to get five mm-hmm. minutes. So the clock's running on 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Important differentiation between all of the chainsaw massacres is there's a space between chain and saw for starters, which is always the thing I enjoy every time I see the title. But tell us where 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 the where does the film live for you? What where, where do you first see it? How what impact does it have on you? All right. Well, so first, I need to just say up front that my 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 brain does not uh, retain uh, facts or details. What I can tell you about is my sort of emotional uh, expressionistic emotional uh, memory of things. So. Uh, you know, like when I listen to uh, 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 Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery's podcasts, yeah. uh, like Quentin's able to be, ah, yes, I saw that in 1978 at this movie theater. I still have the ticket. And I'm just like, holy shit, that is a completely different way to to uh, experience films. And I don't have that. So if I get any details wrong on any of these films, uh, uh, please forgive me. Go to Wikipedia if you want facts. But what I will share is my own truth. No, no, and that's and that's the truth we're looking for here because it's the impact on your life. Yeah, so I mean, I don't remember exactly uh, when I first saw the film. Yeah, and I think uh, I I would assume it would have been uh, in the early '80s on VHS at a friend's house uh, because my family. Uh, we didn't have a VCR for for the I'd say the first five years that they they existed. So I'm when we wanted to rent a movie, it's like on my birthday, my family would go down to the video store and rent the VCR, and we could get three movies. And those movies were not never allowed to be horror movies or R rated or anything. So it would I'd have to go to friends' houses who had parents who were maybe had looser morals. Uh, and, and that's where, we, where I saw a lot of the, the sort of uh, definitive horror films. But so I don't remember exactly when I first saw it, but I think it was around the time, you know, we, I'd seen, uh, um, you know, the Friday the 13th and uh, some, of the, some of the other sort of classics. But there's something about Texas Chainsaw that that stands out and it's like some of those movies you feel safe while you're watching because mm. you're outside the story. And there's something about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre where I didn't feel safe when I watched it. Like it felt real. And maybe for the first half of my life since seeing it, I thought that was because of uh, the story or, or, you know, because it's presented as based on, you know, a true story. But now I've come to realize like that is just the filmmaking, like the filmmaking itself creates such a, uh, uh, um, a detailed environment. Like the vibe of the film is so complete and so surrounds those characters mm. and from shot to shot and, and beat to beat, you don't see the edge of the stage that that, that, that story is taking place on. You're fully surrounded by it. And it just blows my mind. Like every single time I watch that movie, I get a different experience from it. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. 
break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, and, you know, as an adult now watching it in, in, as a filmmaker, it's a miracle that on that shooting schedule and with that crew size, they were able to create image after image that is so aesthetically, uh, uh, sophisticated and so effective. Uh, so, I mean, obviously people have been talking about, you know, it's a masterpiece. And it, you know, I'm not going to add anything to that. Like other people, <laughs> smarter people can say it, but I can just say from my own experience, I think that's the the horror movie that there's, there's so many like facets to it that every time you look at it, you can see something different in it. Mm. I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, obviously it, it, it's the proto final girl as a, as a, as a thing, right. you know, Carolyn Glover's essay, Men, Women in Chainsaws in 92. You know, she cites that as the start of that phenomena. Um, you don't see a chains, just to give you some facts, you don't see a chainsaw till 55 minutes in. So film yeah. with such an amazing title. I mean, it's like, what more do you need with that with that title? Um, yeah. But, but then the layers of the story, which, you know, is about, is this about the, the rural taking revenge on the city? Like, I mean, again, part of Carolyn Glover's, um, what she call it? Um, Urbanoia this idea but then it's like hippies just being carefree you know and, and and somehow not 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 respecting tradition you know was it just as simple as that oh there's our there's our bell oh well let me just say one last thing go on go on please yeah no you're all right it's not the real it's not the law okay good because we'll be punk rock about it we'll be like ah uh I think too, at least when I was younger, like at this point in time, mm. when people first see the film, the imagery is probably, they've probably already seen the imagery on the internet, you know, mm. in some way it's come across them. But when I first saw it, the poster itself, the, the, the mask itself, the, the, the presentation of Leatherface was so grotesque and so absolutely terrifying as a concept of like this person's wearing someone else's skin as a mask. Mm. Like 
you couldn't wrap your head around that because you'd never seen or even thought of anything like that before. And in this movie, like, sure, that comes in later, but you start in this bright, colorful, idealistic, sort of safe-feeling world. And you go into that house with sun. And you're like, I'm with the, you know, this great, good-looking, fun uh, group of friends. And you get punched in the face. You get hit over the head with the hammer, just like the character. And, and back in the day, like before that, that sort of iconography was, was so well established, I mean, it fucking blew my mind. It was terrifying. Uh, and the execution now, you can still watch it. It's still terrifying. But, but back then, without having seen that sort of imagery before, I mean, it was just, it's mind-blowing. Well, you know, you, when you when you were watching it, obviously, I'm like the same the sort of same generation as you. It was banned in the UK, so when oh, I God. first watch it, I see it on a eighth generation pirate copy. <laughs> so I'm seeing the grainiest of grainy versions of this illicit film, really. So yeah, yeah. it was so heightened to watch it the first time for me, and then yeah. fast forward to the to the to the 21st century, fright fest show it with Toby Hooper doing a Q and A. And suddenly I'm watching it on a 60-foot screen at the Empire Leicester Square. And it's like that when that frame of the flicker of the blinking eye of Sally yeah. is the whole 60-foot screen, it's like yeah. I've landed on, I've landed in ut- cinema utopia. You know, it's like it's Yeah. I mean, that movie is the shots in that movie are are art. Like they're like frame after frame is like pure. Uh, aesthetic uh, fucking masterworks. Like, it's not just um, shoot it and get the information to tell what's happening. Mm. It's like, it is invoking an emotion. And and I I think, you know, it even actually influenced a little bit of, of the Wounded Fawn. Uh, like, that opening is so goddamn experimental mm. and automatically puts you in a, in a, in a certain emotional state. And I think I hadn't ever realized that before, that like this motherfucker spent the time to figure out how do I create that emotion before I even introduce the story? Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, that's what a master does. I should aim for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let's jump two years to an Oscar winning movie. Um, yeah. Rocky. Where, where, does, where does that fit in your, in your cinematic canon of life? So I probably saw uh, Rocky three or Rocky four first. Okay, but around the same era, you know, uh, like Rocky, like it was just culturally in the states. This was, you know, our 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 new sort of Santa Claus. You know, it's it was just a, a cultural symbol that everybody. Uh, understood or had a shorthand with or thought they understood. And I think the, and I don't remember exactly when I first saw the original Rocky, but certainly as an adult, and when I show it to other people or talk to people about it, what that movie is, is it's remarkable how different it is from that sort of cultural icon uh, that, that at least in the 80s we thought of as Rocky. Like, when I tell people, no, no, it's not really a boxing movie. It's a romance. Like, what are you talking about? I know what Rocky is. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta believe me. And 
you know, the craftsmanship in that movie for what I, what I believe was like dollar budget, mm. uh, you know, basically an independent film. I, I know UA like financed it, but they didn't really want to, uh, that story. I think what I take away from it as a filmmaker is if your movie feels authentic, you can create huge exaggerated iconic moments and that, that, that figuring out that math of how you get to those big, huge movie moments uh, from a place of, of reality is something that I, I find fascinating. Mm. Like, I mean, there is from, from, from the locations they shot in the music choices they use, the, the use of the steady cam, like for a million dollar movie in again, sort of like Texas Chainsaw in scene after scene after scene, the choices being made are so smart and so effective. Um, and I just think that that performance of everybody is sincere. You, you, you feel that romance, you feel that yearning for a bigger, better life. You feel that sort of doubt that he has about himself and, and that speech where he's sort of says, and that's okay. I mean, as an adult male, you know, you're like, that really touches mm. you know, where you're just sort of like, I'm going to do the best I can. And, and that's okay. Like, I don't need to necessarily win. And I think, I mean, that's pretty fucking Buddhist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Get on Stallone for, for, uh, reaching that sort of, a uh, uh, you know, breakthrough at uh, such an early age. But, but also interestingly for, for what is a, what is like you say is a ro- is a romance story. It's also gritty realism of blue collar life in America in mid to late seventies, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of, it's not pretty. Yeah. Nobody's nobody's living the, their best life. They're just surviving. And obviously, a box is a very good metaphor for for surviving. Yeah, but but I think again, I, I use the word authentic, but I feel like the boxing gym they chose the streets they chose to have the characters walk down the uh you know um singers on the street corner the sharing of the wine bottle uh mm. what his life as a small time enforcer looks like who he's trying to shake down to, to get their payments how like all of that the the jackets all all of these things that world feels so fully realized that then you buy into this sort of bigger myth story that that happens and it's like you know i think i think urban uh winkler like gives all the credit to slide he's mm. like that he is the one who knew all of the details and again as at this point in life thinking about that the fact that sylvester stallone wrote that wrote that story believed in himself so much found people to believe in him. And that was the end result of, of his first movie. It's like, it's incredible. Like I'm in absolute awe of him as an artist and I'm in absolute awe of every single person and their contributions to that movie, because I think it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Look at that. Right on the bell. Right on the button, man. That was amazing. (laughs) 
Um, you'll be you maybe be sad to learn then that the that Rocky is now currently being used by uh, bookmakers in the UK for their TV advertising campaign, where they've they they've used CGI to have a load of people running behind him in the the iconic. Um, but in, but even I mean, it's interesting you say about how, how iconic it was in terms of it's Rocky being this kind of reflection of of, of America at the time, and obviously it became much more sort of Star Spangled Banner as it went through the through the franchise, but the original one was 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 more grounded. In Britain, it was it was I we watched Rocky Two first. I remember that as a kid. We watched Rocky Two and then it was like you went back to Rocky. Just you know, and it was but it was it was that phenomena even even in the UK, even though we're not, you know, America's thousands of thousands of miles away. And it was then as well. But it was uh yes, it was definitely an event for us as well. And I I went to see um Rocky Four on a first date. That was uh, that was where Rocky fits okay. in my in my youth. Uh, yeah. A young woman called Paula. We went and watched it. Uh, how how the day go? Was she uh, was she filled with uh, American patriotism? <laughs> and you guys went and got a cheeseburger afterwards <laughs> and made out or what? <laughs> well, we didn't get married in the end. There was no love story in the end of that one. But it was nice. It was nice to go. It was like my first like my first proper date. You know, like going out to yeah, the yeah. you know going out with a girl to the cinema. It's like you know it was just that kind of that part of my life. You know. Well, look, let's jump. We're going to jump 13 years now to 1989 to a very different movie to the other two, um, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and A Lover. Yeah, I mean, I probably saw this in college. Okay. And I think I think my – I think I was consuming cinema in a very passive way uh, through college I mean, up until college, probably through college, probably through most of my fucking life after college, too, yeah. where you're just sort of watching stuff. You're not really thinking about how it works, how what you're seeing works. Mm. And and I think The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover was the first movie where, because the way the story was being told was so exaggerated, I I was forced to be like, okay, what's happening here? <laughs> Noticing the costume changes as you pass from one room to the next, lighting changes, and being like, well, this feels different. And and I I maybe this isn't true, but I feel like it was the first time I understood, like, wait, there are decisions being made in how to tell the story that is evoking different emotions, which is terrifying to have, you know in college where you're studying film hopefully you would learn that earlier in the process maybe even before you decided to make movies that you would come to the understanding like the choices i make while making this is going to elicit action but that was such an exaggerated form of of uh storytelling that it just sort of uh it's like i was on a uh, on a movie set and i was looking towards the set and then suddenly that movie said, hey, turn around. And I looked around and saw, oh, this is how a movie's made. Like it was a completely, it just completely opened up my whole perspectives. And I mean, A, I think it's it's a fucking another masterpiece, but the aesthetics, the control, the 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 um how the score is utilized, how the costume is utilized, how the acting is is sort of amped up to a level that fits on that stage. Mm. It's, it just, 
it is a movie that's all garnish. It's all of the, the, the stuff that normally, uh, you know, would be toned down. And it just sort of lives in it. Was this a film presented to you as part of film school? Was this a film you discovered through school? No, I think this would have been like going through the video store and just looking for stuff. Okay. Uh, you know, on the weekends. And, and, and so back in this age, you know, oh, you could get like 10 movies for 10 bucks, but you had to bring them back in two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you just get a big stack. So you're, you're, that's almost its own film school where you're just chewing through as much mm. as you can fit in a small amount of time. And, uh, you know, I probably just picked it up because I was like, oh, look at that cover. You know, that looks sexy. Yeah. But, you know. So I wasn't mean, that, it, it, wouldn't that, have, it wouldn't have even been the name of Peter Greenaway. It was just, it was just literally just. No, no. And then I, you know, then I was like, okay, well, who is this cat? And I think, uh, what was it? Eight women. Is that the other title? Yeah, uh, yeah. Drowning by pillows or drowning by numbers and the pillow book. I didn't feel the same way about those movies. They were maybe just a, a, a little more intellectual than I was, I was ready for, but yeah. the cook, the thief is wife and a lover that, that storyline that, and just sort of anchors all of that sort of uh, artistry in a way that was a, a lot more digestible for me. So when you say before that you were before you before this film you were kind of watching films in a pa- you, it was a passive experience watching movies. So do you mean in the sense of it was entertain me and then I'll I'll tell you if I'm entertained and then suddenly you watch the film where it's not it's not even inviting that question. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I don't know how much I was thinking about the movies. So yeah, it was, it was very, it was just sort of consuming. Yeah. You know? Uh, and when you see something that's just like, stop, look at this. Mm. And it forces you for a very long time. Like that opening shot in that movie, you know, in that opening sequence is, is like, by the time it finishes, you are in a different place than when you put that movie in the, in the VCR. It, this, or, or this, your, your experience of it is, is calls back to what I said before about James Gray. It was like, this film was your sushi after eating a load of hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's very fitting for that to be the movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, too, uh, you know, now as an adult, you know, the, uh, the, the sexuality and the mm. just sort of like, comfortability the comfort with sort of like this is a story about adults and adult relationships with adult mm. passions uh expressing that and we're going to show it we're not going to hide it we're not going to hint at it we're not going to mm. exaggerate it in the way that uh hollywood you know top gun or or tony scott or ridley scott would show uh uh you know a sex scene it was also just sort of mind-blowing to me and and something that you know i still crave in cinema now well, look, that's your uh, your three movies, the the three films that impacted everything in adult life. That was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Rocky, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and, and Her Lover. A Wounded Fawn is on Shudder from the 1st of December. The link will be in the show notes. And it just gives me to say thank you very much for joining us on the BritFlix podcast to talk about your films. Hey, Stuart, I love chatting movies with you. So anytime.
Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.